Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. You normally see Drew DeGrotto starting this webcast each Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Drew is not with us today. He's a little bit under the weather, and we miss him and his expert uh, guidance of this program. Uh, but we'll carry on without him. And so with me, as always, Stephen Rouse and Scott Smelser. Stephen Rouse and Scott Smelser are both over in the Gettysburg area. Stephen, you still live in the Gettysburg area. Is that right? Yes, sir. We're still here in Gettysburg. But you're working with the church up in Harrisburg now. Yes, sir. Both Scott and I are helping out up there. And um, that's, that's the current scenario. Great. And Scott, my brother in the flesh, and because Scott is my brother in the flesh, Stephen is my nephew in the law, um, <laughs> married to my niece, and so that makes him my niece in the law. Uh, so it's good to be with you. We're going to plead with you all just a little bit as we get the webcast started this afternoon. Uh, we uh, have had a number of questions from our viewers, and they've been good questions that have given us a lot to talk about and have been interesting to our viewers. But we're, we're kind of running out of questions, folks. So today would be an excellent opportunity. If there's something that you would really like to, to be sure it gets discussed, we've got some things to discuss today. But either this week or next week, we would be um, eager to get to your questions because, as I say, we have been running out of things to talk about from viewers. There's plenty to talk about in God's Word. And we're going to talk about some of that today. We're going to talk about a subject pertaining to baptism. Right, guys? Kind of pick yes. up where we were last week? Yes. And sorry, I was getting a notice about the webcast posted, and so I'm half a second behind here. Okay. So, Stephen, how about you tell us what we're going to talk about today? Baptism. What were we talking about last week? Baptism, and um, everybody agrees that baptism is necessary for the remission of sins? I think that's what we were saying, or no? Certainly not. Uh, there's a, a lot of debate. Uh, over baptism uh, in particular, and particularly uh, is baptism a necessary condition to be saved? That's a pretty important question. Um, so I don't, I don't believe I was with you guys the last time y'all discussed a few of the objections that come up. I know y'all, uh, I think I it was heard three weeks ago. I think so. But y'all talked about the scenario of the thief on the cross last time. Uh, the, um, the, the word ace in Acts 2.38, meaning because of uh, that objection that comes up. And then another argument from that context that has to do with the singular and plural of the words in that section. Um, so a lot of that having to do with Acts 2.38 specifically. But I know today we were looking at a pretty common objection that comes up about baptism. And that is when people say, well, you can't be saved at the point of baptism, because baptism is a work, and we're saved by grace, not by works. Yeah, that's that's a common objection. I want to say something, guys, just as we get started here, for our, for our viewers, just to put things in perspective, I'm going to state my personal thinking about this, and that is that as I look at the Bible, um, it seems to me that if somebody, you know, the, the, partic- the, the proverbial visitor from Mars— who just walked down here without any preconceived notions, uh, got a Bible and was reading it, uh, and he read all the way through it, I think he would easily come to the conclusion that baptism is the point at which one is saved from his sins, that is the point at which he becomes a part of the body of Christ. And um, it's not really something that that's hard to see, but it is because it is a highly debated thing, and it is something that is 
widely misunderstood. And I would argue that is because people are trying to reconcile what the Bible says with their preconceived ideas uh, about theology. Uh, so that's just something I'm going to throw out real quickly here. Um, so, and it goes back to the Protestant Reformation reaction to Roman Catholicism. Well, that's right. That's right. Um, what do you mean by that, Scott? Well, uh, in the New Testament, the, the message is very, very clear. We are not saved by our works of righteousness, which we Amen. do ourselves, Titus 3. It's by God's mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration. You look at Romans 6, that's baptism. Ephesians 2, by grace have we been saved through faith. It's not that we've managed to save ourselves. We need Jesus to be our Savior, um, and we put our trust in him. But those same epistles go on and talk about our need to obey. Uh, Paul's In Romans 3, Paul makes it clear that law you know, uh, is not the thing that saves us. Law pointed out people are sinners, and salvation is in Christ, and we need to trust in that. Uh, but in all of these, Paul also says we have to obey. So there's a difference between where redemption and atonement is. That's in the blood of Jesus. And our responsibility to submit and obey. That's something that Jesus calls us to and the apostles call us to. Catholicism developed a system where there were all sorts of things that we and other people do to help get us to help. Extra good deeds left over by the saints. Mary, you know, how many times you pray a prayer. Doing penance so that you atone for your own sin. Putting money in a bucket to get somebody out of purgatory. And so you had this huge accumulation of things that you do. And that was all wrong. That was all misguided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were other things like follow church tradition instead of scripture. So the Protestant Reformation comes in, and it's like trying to throw out all this stuff. And it made a number of statements, some of which are pretty good, some of which are overreactions, but none of which are exactly in scripture. So, for example, let's take sola scriptura. Okay. I kind of like the idea of Sola Scriptura because that's, that's the authority I go by, by Scripture. Mm -hmm. But would Paul, did Paul ever write Sola no. Scriptura? No. Would Paul have ever said Sola Scriptura? No. Why not? Well, for one thing, at the time that Paul was writing, there were a lot of people who were getting direct revelation, word from God that wasn't written down in Scripture, and they were speaking it. Yeah, so he commends to Timothy both scripture and that he use his gift of prophecy. Yeah. Uh, and if we had the Apostle Paul here today or the Apostle Peter here today or, or Agabus, the prophet here today, I wouldn't say, let's only go by scripture and ignore Peter. Right. You know, I, I would listen to both. So we see where that terminology comes from, but it wasn't biblical terminology. And then people end up wedding themselves to certain phrases. And so you have sola fide, faith only. And, and Paul didn't say faith only. He talked about faith, but not faith only. Uh, if, if one means by sola fide, so for example, if one means uh, faith as opposed to my meritorious works, then okay, that, that's, that's, a, that's a, a good point, that the Bible teaches that. But as you say, people latch onto that phrase, a phrase which is not in the Bible per se, and they latch onto that, and then they 
they develop a doctrine about that. And what has happened is the doctrine of faith only, or the doctrine of salvation by grace that people have latched onto and developed apart from the Bible is a doctrine that says salvation is unconditional. There's nothing that the saved person does or has to do. There's no condition he has to meet. Um, I don't believe Luther taught that, but no, Luther taught you. Go ahead. In fact, Luther in his larger catechism got upset, even though he inserted the word only in the German text in Romans. Yeah. He got upset in his larger catechism. He says, these know-it-alls, these new spirits that say that faith alone saves. And so you don't have to be baptized. And then he spends a couple of pages, you know, attacking that idea, saying you do have to be baptized. But the the 20th century evangelical movement had a problem uh, when it comes to baptism because they latched onto this idea, there's nothing that I have to do to be saved. There's no condition. It's just up to God. God picks out these people. He's going to save them. There's nothing they do. And then when the Bible says, well, you have to believe, well, they could say, well, you believe because... God puts the spirit in you and that makes you believe that's not really your, your choice. And well, you have to repent and they can say, well, that's actually the spirit doing that in you. But they run into this problem when we come to baptism because that kind of looks like something I do. And so they're, they're adamant. No, baptism cannot be something that's involved because that would then undermine their doctrine that salvation is unconditional. And you've got You've got the Calvinists who would say that uh, God just, if you believe God made you the believer and, and God does everything and it's just the elect. But then you've also got, for instance, a lot of Southern Baptists are not Calvinists. Some are, but, but a lot aren't full Calvinists. And there you've got a system that's very prominent um, in some of the uh, just different kind of non-denominational churches and Baptist churches and Pentecostal churches as well, where you have this system that a lot of people are very used to. The preacher lets you know, and you can go back to the Billy Graham tracks and you see this type of thing. So whether it's a Bible track or the preacher, he says, you have sinned and you need salvation. And is he able to easily produce biblical texts that make that important point? Sure. And then he goes through and says, Jesus died for your sins. And does he back it up with scripture? Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, you can't save yourself. You know, we're not saved by our own works. We're, we can't be our own savior. Can he easily back that up with scripture? Of course. Yeah. Give us one or two scriptures that would say that. Ephesians 2, not by works that you're saved, uh, by grace through faith. Yeah. Yeah. And Matthew 19, then who can be saved? Verse 26, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. All right. And then he says, you can be saved. Here's what you do. You pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I accept you in my heart as my personal savior. Has anybody ever seen that prayer in the Bible? Uh, Not unless somebody wrote it in in the margin in their own handwriting. (laughs) So let's, let's follow this scenario through here for just a minute. So uh, a fellow that teaches that doctrine, and they're, they're all over TV and around wherever you live, in churches and stuff, suppose you or me and, and a friend that teaches that way, we're sitting at McDonald's, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the Bible, and we're enjoying our fish filet. I've got a Big Mac. You don't want to, oh, oh man, I have to go for the fish filet. But that's a different debate for a different day. All right, so... <laughs> So 
um, we're sitting there, and uh, Jeff, let's say you'll be, you're teaching the baptism for remission of sins, and I'm going to teach that no, that would be salvation by works. Instead, you pray and ask Jesus in your heart is your personal sake. Okay. In walks Stephen. Mm-hmm. Stephen sees us with our Bibles open, and he comes over and he says, are you guys believers in Christ? And we both say, yes. yes. He says, well, listen, I need to talk to you guys. My life is a mess. You know, I've, I've never been saved. I've always said, well, I'm going to go to hell, and that's all there is to it. But I realize I'm getting older. My life is getting stupider. You know, I, I, when I was little, my grandmother took me to church. I know, you know, the type of life a person should lead. Uh, I, but I, I didn't want to listen. And I went out, uh, just drugs, alcohol, all sorts of things. I've made a mess of my life. I need to come to the Lord. What do I need to do? Yeah, and so I'm going to say, well, uh, you can be forgiven of your sins. Uh, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, First Peter 2, 24. And by he says, yeah, I remember that. I know that. What do I need to do? Well, you're going to have to, you want, you want the quick answer. You want me to get straight to it? <laughs> I'm going yeah, to say, because I already know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for my sins, et cetera. I'm going to say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's because Jesus is the one who died on the cross, and you need to be a part of that death. And to be a part of that death, you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, baptized in Christ's death. And I'm going to cite Romans chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, and Acts 2, verse 38. And you need to I repent say, whoa, whoa, whoa. of those. Whoa, Jeff. You, yeah. You're telling him that he has to do something to be saved. Yeah. No, no, no. Friend, friend, you, you need to be saved. But what you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior. <clears throat> now, Jeff says, well, Acts 2.38 said, repent, be baptized. For, and I said, no, no, no. He's going to be saved by faith only. Well, I'm doing something very inconsistent here. What am I doing? If he's saved by faith only, he already, Stephen, you walked in and you've made it clear that you believe you're going where? To hell. Why do you believe you're going to hell? Because I haven't been forgiven. Because, yeah, because, because he believes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you believe, you believe there's a God that's going to send you to hell, and you know that you came in telling us how you've never been saved and you didn't want to obey Jesus and, and didn't want to... And only Jesus, Jesus can save you? Yeah, it's... We, but the reason neither of us are talking to you about who the Messiah is is because you already know who the Messiah is. I mean, we might reinforce that, but that's not news to you. Neither of us are trying to tell you to stop being an atheist. So, Jeff, do you see that he believes Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah, he, he seems to believe that very strongly. And I see that too. Uh, Stephen, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah. So, if I'm going to say, no, it's by faith only, to be consistent, I should now say what? You're, you're already saved. Hey, dude, you are okay. But, but for some reason, you want him to say. Go and sin more. But for some reason, you want him to say this little phrase. Yes, because I realize part of me realizes no, just knowing that is different than submitting. So I've got this new way to submit, where it's you pray the prayer to Jesus and ask him into your heart as a personal savior. 
but I'm telling you, you can't give the biblical response because it see every excuse I give, like, like what if I try this one? Why Jeff, what if he agreed to your teaching and as y'all were about to walk over to the baptistry, a tree branch fell and hit him in the head and killed him. So instead he should say the prayer with me. But what if Stephen listens to me telling him that he has to pray this prayer and he's about to get ready to pray it and the lighting fixture in McDonald's falls and hits him on the head and kills him. See McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. So you, you've illustrated, you've illustrated well, the, uh, the inconsistency in that, in that notion. We've got several comments from viewers at this point. A couple of the comments go back to things we talked about last week pertaining to objections to baptism. Uh, I would suggest let's revisit those briefly because we talked fairly at length about them last week. And then we've got a comment on a new topic today and it's a good one. And so Maybe we'll try to get to it, but just briefly, Sounds good. two comments about baptism. Uh, Andrew Jonas uh, mentions again, the thief on the cross and asks if we see Mark chapter two and verse 10 as being the answer to that question. And then Tim Broadwell uh, is uh, mentioning again, the issue concerning ace, the Greek word that's translated unto or for in Acts two thirty eight. Uh, can it mean because of, because that's an argument people make. And we talked about both of these things last week and then Holly Green. Or actually two or three weeks ago. Was it two or three weeks ago? Okay. Yeah, somebody revis- wants to go back in the programs. And, Let's and- revisit the thief on the cross just briefly here. And we, we discussed this at length. People think that the thief on the cross is evidence that we don't need to be baptized. And we made several points demonstrating the fallacy of that thinking. But he wants to know Mark chapter 2 and verse 10. And this is a passage we did talk about, or we may have looked at it in the account found in Matthew 9. But where Jesus says the son of man hath authority on earth to forgive sins. So brief comment there. Jesus certainly has the authority to forgive the sins of who he wants to while he's on the earth. And of course, during that time, the thief is there on the cross. Jesus is still on earth. He forgives. He says, surely you'll be with me today in paradise. And so that, uh, if Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Whatever condition he wants to attach to it, or if he doesn't attach a condition to it, whatever he says goes. The thing is, he's spoken to us in the scriptures, and, and we understand what he said to us. Um, and I don't know if we want to revisit all of the points we made. That's one point to be made with regard to the thief on the cross. Uh, if somebody wants us to go back to the other points, uh, basically, just I'll summarize them. One is, it's often argued that he was told this before Jesus has died. He, he's under the law. And, and the other point was that um, really, if you're going to use the thief on the cross to prove that you don't have to be baptized, you have to prove that the thief wasn't baptized. And we discussed uh, the, why that's a difficult thing to do because, and we won't go back into that right now. But the point being, you can't show that the thief wasn't baptized. You can show that he wasn't baptized while he's hanging on the cross, but you can't show he wasn't baptized. Yes, Stephen. Yeah, and uh, Cassandra just commented uh, through the Bible quest that uh, Christ had not died, so there was no new covenant. So again, that t- timing question. Yeah. So yeah. then we've got and another. If he had been baptized, then he had been, and now Jesus forgives him of his current sins. If he hadn't been baptized, doesn't matter because Jesus still 
forgave him and what Jesus says goes. So, yeah. And right. then uh, Tim asked about Acts 2.38 where uh, Peter says, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins or unto the forgiveness of your sins. And there were, there were some Baptists some years ago who were making the argument, probably still uh, a few still are, but not so many of them who are in the know. I think the, the educated, the, the people who are seminary educated among the Baptists have given up this argument, but there was back in the day an attempt to argue that that passage could be translated uh, repent and be baptized because of the remission of sins. In other words, because you've already been saved. Um, and so that hinges on whether or not the word ace means because of. And so Tim is asking about that. So we talked about that briefly, didn't we? And let me just throw out a few reminders. One, the Bibles don't translate it that way because that's not what it says. Right. That's not the way that word is ever translated. It was an argument made originally by Baptists because of Acts 2.38. And uh, we mentioned the passage in Matthew 26.28. It's the same words that Jesus used when he said that his blood was poured out, ace, aphasan, hamartion, yes. uh, unto remission of sins. And so unless you want to say Jesus died uh, just as an outward symbol of that everybody was saved anyway, you know, because they were already saved, uh, it's a yeah, bad argument. Yeah, let, let me let me sit on that. Let me read the passages back to back. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, and then I'm going to read Acts 2.38. So Matthew 26, 26, when Jesus is with 12 the night before he's crucified. Verse 28, rather. Verse 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many unto remission of sins. And then in Acts 2.38, uh, Peter said, repent ye and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ unto the remission of your sins. If it sounds similar in Greek, I mean, if it sounds sing- similar in English, that's because it's the same wording in Greek and they mean the same thing. Uh, it's not because of. Okay. Very good. Uh, Cassandra also right. commented here, what applies to us in regard to appealing to God for the forgiveness of sins is what was commanded after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the beginning of the Lord's church. Um, so yeah, I think we would agree with that. That's what we have revealed to us today. Well, now we've got some new questions about the significance of baptism, and we still got Holly's question out there, and it's not about baptism. It's about praying in Jesus' name, which is a topic I'd like to get to, but because the other questions that are coming in are about baptism, maybe it would be best to stick with those questions. Deal First. With them. And, and I want, and if we can't get to Holly's question today, we will try to get to it next week, Lord willing. But uh, Aaron Beard says, I have a friend. He says, a friend I've studied with believes baptism is absolutely essential. Now, li- listen to this. He believes baptism is absolutely essential, but he still puts the moment of salvation before faith. He, the moment of salvation before faith? I wonder if that's what he means. He believes it is hugely important and you won't be saved without it, but that the moment, but that that moment comes before it. He doesn't understand why the difference between he and I matters so much to me since he believes it is necessary for salvation still. Uh, That's actually, yeah, that's from Aaron Beard. So I'm not sure if he wrote what he meant, that he puts the moment of salvation before faith. Maybe he meant before baptism. I think he meant before baptism. Yeah, probably mean that yeah. the moment you believe you're actually saved, 
And if you are actually saved, you will be baptized. Oh, he says not before faith, but at faith is the correction, the corrected. Okay. I think folks, I think we've got a chart coming up. Yeah. Let's get this up just to, uh, most of our audience is probably familiar with this, but let's just put it up here on the board. Um, so passages that help us see, uh, and is I've got us in the middle. There we go. Uh, passages that help us see kind of what the Bible is saying in Acts two thirty eight. When do they receive remission of sins? They're asked, what do we need to do? And they're told repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of you unto the remission of your sins. So it, it's a, a baptism. Acts twenty two sixteen. What is Saul told after three days of praying and obviously penitent attitude after three days of prayer? What is Paul told? Arise and be right. baptized and wash away your sins. Yeah. Calling on his name. Uh, in John three, Jesus said, except you be born again, you can't inherit enter the kingdom. And when Nicodemus asked what that means, Jesus says you have to be born of water Water and the spirit. So that's being born again. Titus three, five, it's not by works of righteousness that we've done ourselves, but by his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. Um, and which is also born again. Uh, Romans six, when are we put into Christ and that arrow should be going the other way. I don't know why it's not. Uh, one, uh, it's when we're saved. So there's just verses that place it right there. So I suspect his hesitancy is, I'm guessing just stems from kind of theological baggage that he's maybe learned from the Reformation movement, which a lot of it boils down to this feeling that if there's something you have to do and that baptism would be a work and that would be salvation by works. A, we've already pointed out that when you substitute instead of baptism, substitute having to say a prayer, how have, how has that changed whether or not there's something you need to do? Yeah. Going back to, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Going back to your McDonald. Now I think you were going to make a second point there. Go ahead and make it. All right, and then let, let's just think here about works for a minute. Saved by works. People say, that would be water salvation. You know, I believe in the blood of Jesus. You're talking about water salvation or saved by works. Here are two cases from the Bible that I think help us a lot. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, you remember there was a fellow named Naaman who comes to the prophet. And what was Naaman's problem? He had leprosy. Yeah. Could he save himself? No, that's why he's coming to the prophet. Yeah. Did the Lord save Naaman? Yeah, cleansed him from his leprosy. Yes. And you remember the story. He thought he would come and he came with, you know, gifts of wealthy stuff to give to the prophet. He's and he an thought the prophet would come out and wave his hands and call him. The, but instead, the prophet told him to do what? Go to the Jordan seven times. Yeah. And he was kind of, he didn't want to humble himself to that, did he? And he starts to leave, but his servant said, he asked you to do some big thing. Wouldn't you have done it? And he, he gets Naaman to humble himself, and he goes and he dips in the River Jordan. What happened when he dipped in the River Jordan? He was cleansed. All right. So 
Here's the questions. Could he save himself? No. Did the Lord save him? Yes. yes. Was, and this is a very effective question to ask anybody who is saying that baptism would be being saved by your own power or work. Ask him about Naaman. How was Naaman healed? By the power of God or by his own power? Obviously, by the power of God. When was Naaman healed? When he did what God said, when he dipped in the river Jordan seven times. Yeah. John chapter 9, there's a blind man. Could he deliver himself from his own blindness? No way. Did the Lord deliver him? Yep. Yes. And then ask the same question to your friend. Do you believe the blind man was saved by God's grace and power or by his own works? And they'll say it's by God's grace and power. Yeah. Yeah. When did he come see? When he did what Jesus said. Yeah, he went and washed. Yeah, yeah, when he did what Jesus said. And what would they think of anybody who went back there and tried to stop Naaman or the blind man and said, no, no, no. (laughs) No, no. If you go dip in that river, Jordan, you're trying to be your own savior. Yeah. (laughs) You're trusting in your own might and power. No. Well, the same principle applies. And one other thing is this, and then I want to open up to what you guys have to say about it. Baptism isn't even something that you do. It's something you allow to be done to you. It is an act of humiliation. It's recognizing that my old life is something I've made a mess of, and I'm submitting to let somebody else bury me in water because my old man is dead and wretched and needs to be buried. And it's trusting in the death and resurrection of Christ and that power to be applied to me. It's not even something you do. That's why it's in the passive be baptized. We have a backlog of viewers comments and questions now. So let's get to another one. Uh, German says, what about the men that had John's baptism? They were baptized for forgiveness of sins. Then why did they need to be baptized again? He's talking about Acts 19. Um, yeah, let's read that topic. text. It's related, to, it's related to baptism. A little different topic, though, but let's go ahead and tackle that. Yeah, let's read that text real quick. So we've got that in front of us. Acts 19, beginning in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Okay, so what you have here is a situation where people had been baptized uh, according to John's baptism. There's no indication that they were baptized by John. It would be unlikely that they were baptized by John. These are people up in in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. John was baptizing down around the Jordan River in areas in Palestine, down around Jerusalem. But Apollos has recently been in Ephesus, and Apollos, back in Acts chapter 18, And verse 25 is described as somebody who, when he came to Ephesus, only knew the baptism of John. 
And uh, so apparently Luke intends for us to infer in as much as he tells us that story about Apollos just before he introduces us to these uh, six or 12 people in Acts 19 who were baptized uh, according to John's baptism. Apparently Luke intends for us to infer that these people were baptized as a result of Apollos' influence there um, some 20 years or so after Jesus has died on the cross. And uh, so they haven't heard about being baptized into Jesus' name, and so they need to be baptized into, into the name of Jesus. The question is, if people who are baptized um, by John uh, had been baptized for the remission of sins, why would they need to be baptized again? I would say, first of all, these people were not baptized by John, but I would go back to Mark and note what I think is in German's mind, and that is in Mark chapter 1. John's baptism is described this way. John came, this is Mark 1, verse 4. John came who baptized in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance unto remission of sins. I know there'll be a lot of people who disagree with me, but my conviction is that people who were baptized by John in accordance with what we read in Mark chapter one, verse four, um, did, did not have to be baptized again any more than those baptized by Jesus or Jesus disciples in John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, had to be baptized again. The apostles, we don't get any hint that the apostles were baptized again after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So I, I think the point in Acts 19 is merely that the people in Ephesus who were baptized according to the baptism of John, they were not baptized by John. They were baptized at a point in time when John's baptism was obsolete, and they'd been baptized without a sense of Jesus people who were baptized by John were being pointed to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with you on that. And so before Jesus death, you've got John's John's disciples baptized or John himself baptizing and Jesus disciples baptizing people. Those people were saved from what we can tell. Mm -hmm. But after Jesus's death, burial resurrection, we have the command to, baptize people in the name of the father, the son, the Holy spirit, you know, and they're to be trusting in Jesus. And so several years later, when Paul encounters these people in Ephesus and they wouldn't have been baptized by John, you know, they have not been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's, uh, that's why the time for John's baptism was the all on pass. Yes. There's another question that's come in here. Uh, well, I'll read it. And then Jeff, you want to finish that? No, go ahead. Uh, I want to throw this out to Stephen. Natalie says, if baptism wasn't required until after Jesus's death, coming back to the Hebrews 9 idea, I think is what that's echoing off of, why were people, even Jesus, baptized beforehand? I don't know if uh, the Bible gives a direct answer as to why God told them to do it the way that they did it, but I suspect it is because of what was to come. Uh, God in sending Jesus to establish a new covenant in which part of the sign of that covenant would be baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus hasn't died yet. That hasn't all happened yet. But in anticipation of that, God sends John the Baptist and has him baptize people. And he sends Jesus. And even before Jesus dies, Jesus directs his disciples to baptize people. And so it sets a precedent before 
the time that we're in now that, Hey, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins is what God is asking of people right now. Going back to the thief on the cross, this is why I'm not crazy about the argument that in dealing with the thief on the cross saying, well, he was still under the law. This is why I'm not, I, I think that that's a valid point to be made, but it doesn't entirely address the matter. The picture. Because even prior to Jesus' death on the cross, God's messenger, John the Baptist, and Jesus himself were commanding people to be baptized. Um, so, yeah, and so, for instance, the way this question is worded, if baptism wasn't required, I, didn't, I wouldn't say that baptism wasn't required right. before Jesus' death. John the Baptist taught it. And if you recall, in Matthew 20, when the chief priests and Pharisees come up and they're saying, Jesus, what authority do you do this by? And he said, well, I'm going to ask you a question. John's baptism from heaven or from men? And they don't want to answer. They say, if we say it's from men, we're afraid of the multitude. But they realize if we say it's from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you believe? Right. So it. so it was from heaven is the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they should have done it. And then say, well, then isn't it, it comes back to this thing, Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. While here on earth, Jesus baptized people through his apostles, but he also repeatedly just said to people straight directly, your sins are forgiven. So besides the thief on the cross, there's the fellow lowered through the roof. And what did Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven. forgiven. There's a sinful woman who walks in and washes his feet. And Jesus says what? Your sins sins are forgiven. forgiven. And I would say that if Jesus himself, not a fiction of your imagination, not a feeling that you had, if Jesus himself chose to come back to the earth and walk up to you and tell you your sins are forgiven and it was actually Jesus, guess what? Your sins will be forgiven. That That doesn't mean the rest of us don't need to do what he said to do in the scripture. Guys, we've got a good question here. Um, not all these are good questions, but we've got one that rarely gets asked, and it, it goes back to the idea of ace and the argument some of the Baptists used to make that it means because yeah. of. And uh, we're going to run out of time here. We, we just got about six minutes left. I'd like to get to this one real quickly. Yeah, so, yeah. So the question is from Tim Broadwell. It's a good question. Back on ace, he says. Now, remember, ace is that word that is translated for or unto when Peter said, repent and be baptized for or unto the remission of sins. In some translations, it's for. Some translations, it's unto. No translation says because of. But he mentions Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, and asks, is that an, ex- an, is that an example of ace being used in a way that could mean because of? Uh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Could you say they repented because of the preaching of Jonah? This is one of the passages that um, Julius Manti, the Baptist uh, scholar, who was arguing for a causal meaning, who was arguing that ace can mean because of. This is one of the New Testament passages he had in mind. If I remember correctly, and I was grabbing his article real quickly and seeing if I could lead through it. It was his main argument, I believe. Yeah, and 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 so when you when you go back and you see that discussion, the point that is made in response to him is that he he has misunderstood the function of ace in Matthew twelve forty one. There are there are things that we can say 
that describe a situation um, and, and we can know something about, let's just take this. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. Is it true that they repented because of the preaching of Jonah? Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. true. People in Nineveh, that's, that's why they came to know they needed to repent because they learned from Jonah they were in danger of being destroyed. So it's a true statement to say they repented because of the preaching of Jonah. But it's a separate question. One question is, is that a true statement that they repented because of the preaching of Jonah? It's a different question to say, is that exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, the use of the word ace here is used with the idea of they repented looking toward, with a view toward the preaching of Jonah. Having Jonah's preaching insight, they repented. And so it's that, that, unto toward idea that is used here. So I can, I can, I can do this. I am about to cross the road. There's a bus coming and I decide not to cross the road. Could you say I repented because of the bus? I mean, could you say I decided not to cross the road because of the bus? Which would be a form of repentance. Which would be a form of repentance. (laughs) Could you say I decided not to cross the road with a view of the bus or looking toward the bus, having the bus and its trajectory in sight? Yes, you could also say that. If I that say, doesn't mean that we have redefined the word view to mean because. Right, like, exactly. Uh, hey, look at the picture window there on the house. Oh, what a nice because. <laughs> yeah. And so this is the point that Ralph Marcus made in response to Julius Manti, that he was reading into that passage what he what he knew happened back then, and he was thus mistranslating the passage. Manti ended up having to abandon that passage, if I remember correctly, and going to some extra biblical passages where he tried again to come up with evidence that ace could mean because of, and those were also rebutted. But good question, Tim. And if, if, the, if the point, if Jesus had wanted to make the point, why did those people repent? Oh, I know it was because of the preaching of Jonah. He could have said that, and there are Greek words that he could have used that meant because of. Mm-hmm. But notice the contrast. Into, at, toward, we, there's a location idea here in ACE. Mm-hmm. Notice the location contrast. Jesus is saying, the men of Nineveh shall stand up in judgment with this generation. So here's this generation, and here's that generation. And they'll condemn it. Why? They repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, way back mm-hmm. there at Jonah, they repented. Right. But you haven't repented here at the preaching of someone greater. Exactly. So he's not discussing why they repented, but that at the preaching of a lesser prophet, they were willing to repent and therefore stand in judgment of these people who are not willing to repent at the preaching of one greater than John. So just because you can substitute a word in a sentence and it wouldn't make sense, doesn't, if, if the truck coming was a Ford, you say, oh, I didn't want to step out in the truck and, and get run over by that Ford. Well, would it make sense if you said, I don't want to step in the tr- road and get run over by a Chevy? That would also make sense. But it doesn't mean that you have redefined you know, what the word Ford means. Scott Bailey says, Paul's third testimony in Acts, 
kind of seals the deal, though, about when yes. salvation slash forgiveness is not before faith, rather at faith, he said. Right, no, no, well, that last part was not uh, part of Scott's question. That There's two different statements there. Oh, okay. I was having trouble making heads or tails out of that as I read it. Yeah, so uh, Scott was saying Paul's third testimony in Acts, which would be Acts 22, uh, kind of seals the deal, though, about when salvation slash forgiveness is. Oh, period. Yeah. Oh, yes. okay. And then Aaron had commented, not before faith, rather at faith, he says. I got it. So okay. clarifying that. We're but almost yeah, out of time, right. so let, real is, quick, let's just throw this up here. Go ahead, Stephen. Throw it. Um, you got 30 seconds. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. Or I'll do it as you talk, Stephen, if you have something to say. Go ahead. Well, no, just uh, what I'm about to say connects with what you're about to do, so please proceed. All right, so he, he went, he's on the way, the Lord speaks to him, he's blind, he's no food or drink, he spends three days praying, Ananias goes, restores his sight, he's baptized, he takes food, eats, and drinks, starts preaching. At what point was he saved? We're saved from sin, so it's when his sins are taken away that he's going to be saved. When was he saved? Why do you delay, arise, and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name? So it wasn't when he saw the light, it wasn't when he heard the voice, it wasn't while he was praying, it was when he was baptized, that his sins were taken away. Guys, uh, thanks for uh, your work this afternoon. And to our viewers, thank you for all good questions. We had some really good questions today. Uh, Holly, you had a good question about praying in the name of Jesus, and we will try to get to that next week. I look forward to that discussion. Yes, thank you, everybody.